1: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
0: Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, Now, up to to bat, bat,
1: Brett Boone. Talk a little bit about David Cohn and his career. Uh, You know, going through... Uh, your career and your life fascinating five world series champion is amazing to me you know and I was just at the all-star game and I got to catch up with Nelly and, and Tino and and I remember I sat there and I said do you guys realize how special what you did was And do you appreciate it because guys like me and the other side of the ledger just clawed to try to win one world series Now that I'm a little older, removed from the game, 15, 17 years, I look back and and it's so hard uh, to win a World Series championship or a championship at at the highest level in any sport. You got five of them. Uh, It's amazing to me. You didn't play high school baseball. Um, How would they find David Cohn in 2023 if you ain't played high school baseball?
2: Yeah, you know, they (laughs) – back then you know i played in summer leagues against college guys so when i was 15 years old you know i grew up in kansas city and it was the big eight back then and now it's a big 12 or whatever it is now back then it was you know it was kansas missouri nebraska uh, iowa state you know all part of the big eight kansas state and during the summer a lot of those college players played in an amateur league uh, and and used wood bats too actually uh you had the option wood bat or aluminum bat. And I was 15 years old pitching against those guys that were playing in the big eight. And I was just holding my own bear, getting, getting handed to me a lot, but kind of competing, you know, and hanging in there. And, you know, scouts would come watch and say, yeah, he's okay. And they'd say, well, he's 16 years old. And they'd go, what he's 16, you know, and I'm pitching against guys that were 21 and under. And uh, I think that probably helped me more than anything. You know, I learned learned how to deal with adversity early on. I learned how to deal with players that were better than me and tougher than me. And they were talking smack on the bench at me. I was just a kid, you know, and I got a pretty good education there early on. You know, and so even though I didn't play high school baseball, you know, I played a pretty good summer league in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, by the time uh, I was draft eligible, I went to a tryout camp at Royal Stadium, an actual tryout camp where there's like 150, 200 kids there and you get couple of throws off the mound, you know, you show your arm strength and maybe show a slider or here or there, and then you're out. It was like an assembly line. But there was one local scout that saw me. And when I was drafted, I was a relative unknown. I had maybe a partial scholarship offered to the University of Missouri. But after I was drafted, I was drafted third, 74th overall by the Royals. Colleges started to call all of a sudden, based on the draft that had never seen me pitch before. And so I started to get some partial scholarship offers. But at that point I'd already signed with the Royals. I, it took me like two days to sign. I, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was like, you, you want me to play? Yeah, I'm, I'm there. Let's go. Give me the contract. Let's sign it. And I think I signed for like $17,000, I think, as a third rounder. I think third round money, money in 1981 is probably closer to 30 or 40 grand back then. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue. I was ready to go. So two weeks after I graduated high school, I was gone. In the minor leagues, never looked back. Took me five or six years to make it up to the big leagues finally broke in and uh, got traded to the Mets in New York. And then the rest is, that's the rest of the story. You know, I spent six years with the Mets when that team, 1987, I went to the Mets after the 86 Mets. It was the wildest group, Brett. Those guys were nuts. <laughs> they were animals, absolute animals, and both on and off the field. And I did my best to fit in with those guys. And that's how I broke in with, with the, you know, the, the remnants of the 1986 Mets, uh, you know, that, that was me. And, uh, yeah, they were the best group of guys we were 15 deep after games where are we going tonight let's go you know we're hanging together we hung in the clubhouse we drank beer after the games we went out to the bars we owned the bars together we took them over it was like a pack you know a pack mentality and we were all together and I can't even tell the truth on some of the stories we had back then you know I can't even <laughs> oh I know I can't I know. even begin <laughs> to, to, to sort of uh fess up but there were some barroom fights you know and there were there was there was mayhem everywhere and uh you know, it was the eighties. It was the 1980s. It was, it was different, you know, and it was the Mets and there was nothing like it. You had two stints,
1: David, in New York, one with the Mets, uh, one with the Yankees. You talk about those years. I've, I've heard the stories and and that's funny when you say, (laughs) I can't even be completely honest. That's pretty (laughs) awesome. But that was the time and that's what it was like. And there wasn't the, could you imagine that those Mets teams and, and, with the internet today, with these iPhones, it doesn't exist. That's why the kids today they go back to their room and they play video games. Yeah,
0: there's a, I feel there's bad a, for there's them. a reason to it.
1: That's a, there's a reason for it. Um, you're an all star in '88. Uh, you lead the league in strikeouts in both 1990 and '91. Uh, '91 was interesting. I read a little uh, snippet on you. Yeah, I think it's the last game of the season, punch out '19. Is that true?
2: Yes, yeah. Philadelphia. I was in a
1: game, I I saw Randy, I I saw the big unit my rookie year, 92, punch out 19 against the Rangers. Did not come out for the ninth inning. But I I know games like that, ridiculous. Um, I want to get to Toronto. 92, you go to Toronto. And you win your first of uh, what I mentioned, a ridiculous five World Series championships. But that first one, I always think about that Toronto because it's not only it wasn't just renting it for Toronto. It was kind of like winning it for the country of Canada, you know, different than than when you win a World Series in New York where, yeah, New York City's on fire and it's going crazy and it's the greatest thing in the world. But you're not winning it for the United States of America. It seems with Major League Baseball, whether you're Blue Jay or, you know, Expos never won one, but it, you're winning it for the country. Did you have that kind of sense?
2: We did, you know, it was, there was almost a conspiracy theory up there that it's the American sport and they don't want a Canadian team to win it. You know, and some of the longtime baseball fans in Canada were wondering if the the, the odds were stacked against them or an umpire's call or something would happen, you know, the the, the conspiracy, you know, they don't want Canada to win, but it really was interesting to be a part of that. You know, the Sky Dome back then was sold out every night. They drew over 4 million fans. There was 50,000 plus every night at the Sky Dome. It's it's like I've never seen. I mean, there wasn't an empty seat in the house. Uh, I'd lived in the Sky Dome. I got traded that year after the trade deadline. You know, Brett, we're coming up on the trade deadline now. Back in 1992, I was traded at the end of August. You know, I cleared waivers. Entire rosters cleared waivers back in 1992. It was kind of like collusion part two. Owners had a wink, wink. Uh, Contracts were dumped. I could have, you know, anybody could have blocked that trade. The Milwaukee Brewers, Bud Selig owned Meraki Brewers could have blocked that trade from from, meets, from the Mets to the Blue Jays because it was after the trade deadline, and I cleared waivers. Everybody cleared waivers back then, and next thing you know, I've, it's almost September 1st, and I'm on the Blue Jays, and it was the beginning of the hired gun. I felt a lot of pressure. You know, you had to come through. I didn't really know my teammates. only had like five weeks to get to know them. And then I was going to be starting game one or game two. I ended up uh, behind Jack Morris starting game two in their rotation. And when I the first game I pitched, we were down 1-0 against the A's. It was a, that was the Oakland A's. Tony La Conseco, Canseco, McGuire, Carney Lansford, they had a great team. Ricky Henderson, Willie Wilson, they had a great team. Toronto had a hard time getting through them. Oakland kind of had Toronto's number back then. And Jack Morris got blown out of game one at home, and I'm starting game two. And that's probably the best game I ever pitched in postseason or at least right up there, the most pressure, uh, the biggest game. And, uh, you know, it, it was, well, I, I just remember my eyes were bugging out of my head. I was so nervous for that game and, uh, probably drank too much coffee among other things. So, you know, it was, it was just one of those games, you know, and, uh, they, that we won that game too. And that got us back going again. And then, um, you know, we ended up winning that series, finally beating Oakland. That was the big thing to get by Oakland, slay the dragon. The Oakland A's were the dragon for the Blue Jays. And then we beat the you know, we beat the uh, the uh, the Braves in the World Series. And back then there was no wild card, obviously. It was just LC, you went right to the LCS. You won your division, you went to the LCS, you won the LCS, you went to the World Series.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a different world now, you know, and, and with the schedule the way it is. I personally, as from a fan standpoint, I, I think it's really exciting the way the way it's set up nowadays. 12 teams get to the postseason the most in the history of baseball. Um but it keeps cities involved longer. You know, a lot if you go back to my dad's generation, <clears throat> it's like this stage of the season, <clears throat> there's only five or six cities even interested in baseball. They're already talking about football because back then it was two teams wet. You had one playoff and then World Series. So I don't think winning the World Series back then was any easier or harder. It was definitely that 162 meant a lot more. But there wasn't as there there weren't as many landmines once you got to the postseason. Now it's kind of reversed. The one sixty two, uh, not as important. You can kind of get hot late, sneak in, and but then you've got, man, you've got landmines all over the place to get to that World Series. So not easier or harder. But I think for our our society today, just leaves every there's a lot more interest. You know, ballparks are packed, uh, more cities involved. It's it's very cool. But you're right, back then. It, it it was a different playoff format for sure. Uh, you win that World Series in Toronto. You 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 go to the, the Royals from '93 to '95, back to Toronto, and then and then you get to the to the Yankees in that in that Yankee unbelievable run. Uh, and 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 I talked to the guys that were a part of all those teams. They said, and we should have won more. And I'm like, you know, that's enough, but I, but I realize, you know, you won in 96 and then you went 98, 99 and 2000, 2001. You're right on the, you're right on, you're knocking on the door again, Mariano on the Hill. Uh, There there could have been more, but, but just take me through that run, that group of guys, how special it was. Joe Torrey at the helm, Uh, kick it off with 96. I just want to touch on each one of those.
2: Yeah, you know, Joe Torre was the right guy at the right time. And and when he was hired by Steinbrenner, uh, the the back page of the New York Post was clueless Joe. He doesn't know what he's getting into. You know, it was a, hey, Dave, George Steinbrenner, uh, toughest owner in sports. He was going to get fired. He was like, this is a bad hire. And Joe, he was playing with house money at that point. He didn't care. He was an MVP player. He was a broadcaster. He had already managed for the Cardinals. It was for him. This was all gravy. It was another shot for him to, to to try to get to to a World Series, which he had never had as a player or a manager. So uh, he didn't take anything seriously. He just was a great buffer for for Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner would come in and blow off steam, and George would just kind of take it, or, or Joe would just kind of take it. He understood how to handle Steinbrenner, and he kept that away from the clubhouse. And he treated everybody with. He just, you know, I, I guess the best way I could say it. Joe Torrey commanded to respect. He didn't demand it. He didn't have a lot of team meetings, but when he did, they were really effective. He dealt with one-on-one with you. He'd call you into his office and and talk to you like a man. And, you know, he just knew how to deal with people. He had great skills at that point. And he handled George. And then all of a sudden, here comes Derek Jeter as a rookie in 1996. And the the story was is that Steinbrenner didn't think Jeter was ready. So they were going to trade for Felix Vermeen from Seattle and, and Seattle wanted Mariano Rivera in return before we knew who Mariano Rivera was. And Joe Torrey talked him out of it. Do not trade, you know, Mariano Rivera for Felix Vermeen. Let's give this kid a chance to play shortstop. And from that point on, we took off. Derek was uh, the rookie of the year that year. He was our leadoff hitter. You talk, you know, in, in terms of uh, the roles, shortstop for the Yankees, leadoff hitter, uh, the guy just led the way. You know, he was ahead of his time in terms of maturity, he wasn't overmatched by the moment. Mariano Rivera became Mariano Rivera in the bullpen. He was lights out that year of all the years that Mariano Rivera had as a reliever. And the greatest reliever of all time, 1996 might've been his best year because he was a multi-inning reliever. He could bring him in in the fifth, sixth inning. He'd go two or three innings and then hand the ball to John Wetland who closed that year. And that you know, Mariano pitched almost hundred innings that year. And he was lights out uh, as a reliever and probably his highest war ranking was that year because of the quantity of the innings. He threw a lot of innings. So uh, that team, that 96 team, set the pace. Uh, we lost in 97 to Cleveland. Cleveland had a great team th- in those years. You know, the, uh, the Robbie Alomar, Albert Bell, Omar Vizquel, Cleveland Indians. Uh, they were very capable of knocking us off. They had us down 2-1 after knocking us off in 97 and 98. They had us down in the playoffs, two games to one. And then we had a guy named El Duque who came up that year and uh, solidified our rotation. Another perfect piece at the right place at the right time. He beat Cleveland in Cleveland to get the series back to 2 2 in 1998. And then we took off from there. Finally got by Cleveland and then steamrolled the Padres in, in the 98 World Series. We swept them. And then 99, it was the Braves again. We were just, we were a well oiled machine at that point in 1999. And we just rolled over the Braves, we swept them in postseason uh, in 1999. And then 2000 was a tough year. You know, we kind of fell back a little bit. I think we only won like 87 games that year, but got into the playoffs. And that's why, you know, if you're looking at this year compared to the Yankees teams, uh, that 2000 team, you look at the Houston Astros. There's something about them. When they get into the post they kind of know who they are and they have that postseason experience. So I still say the Astros are the team to beat because of that, but we were that team in 2000 where once we once we got past the regular season a kind of a kind of a down year postseason, we understood hey everybody's 0 and 0 my batting average is 0 my my ERA is 0 we understand we understood that concept better than anyone and then we just rolled in 2000 rolled right through and beat the Mets in the subway series and we just were very confident in postseason, even though we weren't that good in the regular season. I think we only won 87 games in 2000. So, you know, it was kind of a, an up and down thing. But the one thing was, is when we got to postseason, we knew who we were. We all knew our roles and we were a very confident team. Uh, and that postseason ex- season experience really matters. It's hard to put a number on that. It's hard to quantify from an analytic standpoint. It's more emotional and more of the human element thing. But we have it. The current team today that probably has that is Houston. So I, I'd still watch out for the Astros in this postseason.
1: I agree with you too. And, and you, it, when, once you've had that much winning, it is, it's not a, it's not an arrogance. It's a look, it's a, it's a nod amongst teammates. Like remember last year when we were here and we were down, remember what happened? It is, it's it. And, and I, I, I try to put my finger on it and, and explain it to the, to the fan listening. It's just something, you know, it's an eight. It's not a thing we got to talk about, you know, for for teams like you guys that, you know, you know what happened. And we've been down and out way more than we are right now. And what did we do? So it's that. And you take the field and believe me, being an opponent uh, of those Yankee teams, I felt it on the other side, too. Like, don't take these Get We got them. We got them right now. Remember where we had them before? <clears throat> and the ghost came out at an old Yankee Stadium? Well, it can happen again. And, and as a as an opponent, <clears throat> don't think that doesn't go through our mind. And and that was kind of the <clears throat> a part of your mystique and why those teams were so great and why it was such a special time. Anyone stand out to you uh, amongst the five? I, I hate to keep saying it. Amongst the five, anyone particularly special?
2: Well, you, you, you always remember the first one, you know, the, the special one, but the 1998 team was the team for me. I mean, you know, it was it was a steamrolled year. You know, we ended up at, at the end of the World Series. We'd won 125 games. We were 125 and 50 after winning 114 games during the regular season. But then when we got to postseason, we all knew that wouldn't matter unless we closed the deal. You know, we, we we, saw that last year with the Dodgers, who had a big, big season in the regular season 110, 111 wins, whatever they finished up last year. We saw it with Seattle when they won 116 games. As you're well aware of that, uh, that Seattle team, wow. One of the best teams I've ever seen. Ichiro, you know, coming over, lighting it up. And yet, you know, it just didn't work in postseason. You know, you got knocked out um, for whatever reasons, short series, crap shoot, no postseason play maybe a little uncertainty, uncertainty. you know. I, I've i heard it described this way. If, if you're a veteran player and you have postseason success and you're starting a game the next day, whether you're a position player or a starting pitcher, you're going to go to bed that night and you're going, you're going to think, man, I'm going to have a great game tomorrow. And you're going to put your head on your pillow and you're going to sleep like a baby. And the other side, the guy who hasn't had any postseason experience is going to say the same thing to himself at night. Hey, I'm going to have a great game tomorrow. And you put your head on your pillow and you toss and turn all night. You're not really sure, right? You're not quite so sure. The other guy who knows, yeah, I slept like a baby last night. I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm fully confident. The guy, who, yeah, the guy's confident, but he hasn't done it before. So you know what? I didn't sleep so well last night. You know, I'm a little uncertain. So that's one way to put it. I've heard it expressed that way in big games, you know, World Series, Super Bowls, whatever. I mean, you know, you know, you played in a lot of big, big games, Brett. You know what that feeling is the night before and how confident you are and whether you're really sure or not.
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, very cool, man. I'm I'm just looking at you, some of the some of your personal accolades. And '98, you won 20 games. '94, uh, you Cy Young Award winner. You're a five-time All-Star, five-time World Series champ, and uh, touch on the perfect game. 1999 I know it's well heralded heralded at Michael k breaks it out every year every year on the <laughs> anniversary we talk about it. it's it's Cody's day but pretty darn special especially doing it where you did it
2: that's the key I mean when you have the history of the Yankees uh, it, it just it just makes it all the much better I mean you know Domingo Herman just threw one in Oakland for the Yankees he became the fourth pitcher to do it uh, but mine was done, it was Yogi Bear a day. You know, Yogi had a big beef with, with George Steinbrenner for 15 years. He, nev- he didn't go to the Yankee Stadium. He was fired as manager of the Yankees by the general manager over the phone, and Yogi never forgave George Steinbrenner for that. I think it was only like 15 or 16 games into the regular season, too. It was early in the season. George fires Yogi. Yogi said, that's fine, you want to fire me, but come look me in the face. Look me in the eye and tell me yourself. So he never forgave George Diamond for that or at least for 15 years he didn't. Susan Waldman kind of got them together, reconciled the the situation. They planned Yogi Bear Day. That was my day. You know, Yogi and Carmen Bear were riding around in a convertible Thunderbird. The crowd was going nuts for Yogi. There's nobody like Yogi Bear. He was so beloved. Uh, Don Larson was in the house who threw his perfect game during the World Series in 1956, the only perfect game in a World Series. He throws out the first pitch. Yogi Berra grabs Joe Girardi's glove, and we're both standing right by these guys as as the first pitch happens. It's almost like Yogi blessed, you know, Joe Girardi's glove, handed it back to Joe Girardi. They laughed. they went off, and then next thing you know, you know, we start mowing them down, and it's Yogi's day. It's Yogi Berra day. You know, th- th- this is not supposed to happen this way, and, and and it did. And I was facing a Montreal Expos team. Nobody in that lineup had ever faced me before. There was zero at-bats off of anybody in that lineup. And if you know the Expos back then, they had a couple of really good players. They had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on that team, or Vladimir Guerrero Sr. on that team, Jose Vidro, Brett Fulmer. There were some pretty good players on that team. Orlando Cabrera was a shortstop, but they all were free swingers. And, you know, I say this, you know, we all talk about wind currents, the wind swirling, for some reason that day, it was kind of a, it was a hot day, but it was also, it rained, there was a rain delay and there was wind kind of swirling at the stadium. And it was one of those days where my slider was like a Frisbee. I don't know if there's crosswinds at home plate, but sometimes when you throw a ball into the wind, the ball moves more, it'll break more. You know, I used to love pitching a candlestick park, the old in San Francisco, because of the wind, my ball bro- broke like a Frisbee, my slider broke like 10 feet and that day at Yankee Stadium, my ball was just making a left-hand turn all day. I was changing arm angles. I was throwing nothing but Frisbee after Frisbee, and they kept swinging and swinging, and that was their M.O. They'd never seen me before. They swung the bat, and I just kept throwing it. They kept swinging at it, and 88 pitches later. You know, a lot of times, Brett, I threw 88 pitches in about four innings, you know, 3-2 on everybody, you know, trying to nibble. You know, that day I threw 88 pitches in nine innings, and uh, it was Yogi Bear Day. Yogi's number was eight there was a big number eight behind home plate to honor him for his day. You know, I don't know if, if you believe in baseball gods or not, but after the game, I remember thinking there's something, there's something going on here. How did that just happen? Pretty awesome.
1: Great career. Uh, and, and now you're, you're, uh, kicking butt Sunday night baseball. You're doing the yes network. You get to see this Yankee team. And I got to ask you before I let you go. Uh, Obviously, I have a little bit of an interest in the Yankees just because, you know, it's my brother and I like to see him do well. I try to look at it um, very professionally when asked to to break down the Yankees. It's not, oh, it's Aaron's team. No, I, I've got to be honest and and tell him what I see when I see him in person. You know, we, we more talk about the kids and how are the kids doing. When, and I stay away from baseball unless it gets brought up. And if he wants my advice, I'll give him my advice. Sometimes he takes it. Sometimes he doesn't take it. But but that's. You know, I'm always, I kind of feel weird. Like I want to say something to him, but I don't, you know. So I I got that brotherly thing back and forth. But I have a huge respect for for him, what he's doing. I have a huge respect for, for the Yankees franchise and how tough it is in the city of New York. You watch this team every day. What do you think? They got a chance this year? It's a tough division. Orioles are. Kind of took us by surprise. I, it, it, at the beginning of the season, I thought Orioles, it's a feel-good story. It's nice. They haven't had any success recently. They've taken over the Rays. The Rays have kind of come back to earth. Uh, Yankees are in last place, and they're making a big deal of that. But it's not like they're in, Yank, in last place and below 500. They'd still be top of the division if they're in the central. They're two and a half out of the wild card at this stage. Uh, nine out in the division. I think the division's kind of tough. Not, not the nine games, but to have to piggy, to, to jump over four teams is is pretty a r- remarkable feat. But two and a half out of the wild card, Judges missed a lot. For me, that's the whole key to that team. That I watched that lineup day in and day out when Aaron Judges in it. I think with the exception of Otani, uh, and this is just my perspective, with the exception of Otani, nobody's more important to a lineup in the game in either league than Aaron judge. And he's been missing for quite a while now.
2: He has. And it's such a, uh, an unfortunate injury too. And you know, on the inside of his big toe is right, big toe. And that's, as you know, as a hitter, that's what you're pivoting on your back foot. And that's a size 17. That's a big ligament that he tore in that big, big toe and that size 17. So you got to pivot on that. You got to roll on that. And he's kind of a back leg hitter anyway. He's kind of a, a turn sit, sit and spin kind of a hitter rather than a, a stride or whether old school guy that really kind of, has a little more sway in his swing. So he really relies on that back foot. So that that's just really unfortunate. He's gonna have to play through pain. He will, he's gonna come back and, and try to do it. We won't know until he does on, on how much that that really impacts him or what shape that toe's in. So a uh, really difficult spot, but he is that important. You know, for me, the Yankees, you know, and yeah, I think Aaron is a, a fantastic baseball man for today's game. He's so level, his teammates love him um you know he has the respect of that clubhouse and that's a you know as you know Brett that that's the number one indicator as he lost the clubhouse do they respect him they do very much uh still to this day um he's got them they play for him and and that's the first thing you look at Uh, they're short they don't have outfielders you know they it it just is what it is I love Isaiah Kiner-Falefa I think he's a high quality guy great guy great super utility guy He's gotten way too many starts in the outfield. He's not an outfielder. You know, he's converted. He's done an admirable job of learning on the fly how to play the outfield. But if you've got to start him in the outfield all those games, then something's wrong. You know, you're short. Aaron Hicks was supposed to be that guy. They had to give up on him and pull the plug. They had three years left on that deal. So, uh, you know, Oswaldo Cabrera is a nice young player, super utility guy, struggled offensively this year, never played outfield in the minor leagues. How many games did we see this year with both of them starting in the outfield? You're just short of outfielders. Uh, Their best prospects in the outfield are a year away, double A, A ball. They've got some prospects coming, but they need outfielders. So, can the Yankees make it this year? Yes, they can. You got to get Aaron Judge back, find out what you got, and you need to find an outfielder at the trade deadline. You know, I don't know if Cody Bellinger is going to be available or not. He would be a perfect fit, even as a rental, maybe even long term if he's all the way back. But you got to find some outfielders somewhere, some real outfielders, guys that were trained to play the outfield. So that's that's the shortness right there, in and of itself. And then, of course, when you look at some of the veteran players, are they regressing? DJ LeMahieu, do you believe in his track record? Starting to look better lately. You know, you kind of bet on guys' track records, but then you kind of wonder, wait a minute, is this is age catching? You know, is age kept catching up? Are they starting that, you know, that analytical decline phase of their career, which we all go through at some point or another? John Carlos Stanton, you know, where is he in, in his career arc? And can you keep him healthy as well? Uh, the Josh Donaldson thing w- was a nightmare. It just didn't work out. That was a big bet they placed and spent a lot of money on that. It just did not work out. So, you know, it, it, what are you going to do? You need those guys to play. You have to trust their track records, and you need some help in the outfield. Uh, Brian Katz, it's going to be interesting to see who he can pull out, pull out of the trade deadline. But you're right. It starts with Aaron Judge at the top. And two and a half out, yes, absolutely, they can get into the postseason. If the Yankees get in the postseason, you're just starting Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole in game one. And if you have Carlos Rodan kind of get his game going again and be who he's supposed to be, that could be pretty formidable. And then Nestor Cortez starting in game three, I wouldn't want to face the Yankees in postseason. If they got a real left fielder and you've got Aaron Judge back and Harrison Bader's running around center field being a gold glove, and now, okay, now we're talking. Now, now, Now we got a chance. You got to get there. But if they can solve left field and get Aaron Judge back, then then yes, they do have a real legitimate chance.
1: I, I laugh because the critique is so heavy and you hear it <laughs> in New York on a daily basis. And I'm, you just broke down some of the uh, some of the positions, the pitching situation, the hitting situation. If, if you're honest and you look at that roster, I remember a year ago I talked to my brother. You know, we had a phone call. I said, Aaron, baseball. It doesn't always come out this way. The best team doesn't always win. I said, but on paper, the Houston Astros is a better baseball team than you have right now. So I'm pulling for you. I'm your brother. I got your back. But if asked, if I'm putting my money down, I'm going to bet on the Houston Astros. They're just better than you. Just the way it is. Right now, I look at that team. The fact that they're where they are, I think they've survived pretty good with all those scenarios. You touched on the Donaldson situation. LeMayhu having a rough half. Rizzo starting off great and it just fell off a cliff. He got four hits the other day. Their shortstop Volpe, I think he's going to be a good player. The other day when, when we met up in Anaheim, he's hitting fifth. I said if Volpe's hitting fifth, you're in trouble right now. You mentioned uh, Kiner Falefe. Bader's been hurt in and out. Stanton, Stanton's a, he's, he's a, what's he? He's an avatar. I, I can't really comment on Stanton because he <laughs> yeah. does stuff I watch him hit. And I just say I can't believe it. Then all of a sudden he hits eight home runs in a week, but the pitching staff, that bullpen is has been great. But Nestor Cortez has been out what six weeks now. Uh, Severino came back. He he looked great at the beginning. He had a he had a rough streak. You know when you expect that you expect more out of Severino. Rodon, you gave all the money to. He's had a rough comeback. So uh, a lot of ifs. I I think they're lucky right now to be sitting in the position they're at, but get all these things right in a perfect world. I'm with you. I think they could be formidable once the postseason comes, if they get there.
2: You could argue that Aaron has done his best managerial job this year, you know, because of all all the things you just said, all the, the decline phases of some players, the struggles, the injuries, everything all put together. And look, they're still above 500. They're right there. So you know, it's hard to it's hard to put your finger on how much a manager is really worth. Right. You know, how many games you're, you're better off of because of what a manager did. But it's it's very subjective, you know, keeping the clubhouse together, having the respect of your players, but also maneuvering. You're right. I mean, it's been a different leadoff hitter every night searching for a hot hitter to put in the leadoff hole every night. It's something different. You know, we, we, we've seen. Uh, uh, Oswald, Oswald Peraza, leadoff. A couple of games just got called up. Let, let's try him. Let's try him at leadoff because Aaron's just looking for somebody that's a good hitter in that spot. Not your prototypical leadoff hitter. That's like a Ricky Henderson, somebody with some speed and some pop. You know, it's like no, I'm I'm searching for a body. I'm searching for anybody right now. So in that sense, Aaron's done a really good job this year with what he's had to work with, and we'll see how it ends up. We'll see if there's a big finish in, in store for the Yankees. It's they're certainly capable of it because their bullpen has been solid and because Garrett Cole's having a Cy Young award-winning type season, or at least he's in that mix. Uh, you know, you he, he still feel like if Aaron Judge is Aaron Judge, they're going to have a chance. They they can do it if they get a little bit of a hot streak going, but you know, there's a lot of baseball left. You know, I saw the Mets blow a seven-game lead with 17 games left uh, with Willie Randolph as their manager years ago. You know, 10, 15 years ago, the Mets had a seven game lead to go with 17 games and they blew it. So we're just hitting the dog days and it's going to get really hot here. it to be 98 degrees in Baltimore this weekend. We haven't even hit the dog days yet. You watch how the injuries start to happen. People start to falter. We're getting through. We're just entering into that dog day phase of August. And then you get to September and then you find out who's left. Then there's a lot of time left.
1: Well, David Cohn, I, I appreciate you coming on the, on the podcast. This is a lot of fun catching up, uh, continued continued success. I, like I said, I, I really enjoy in a, in a time, in a time in baseball where I don't enjoy watching just anybody. I really, I do really enjoy your commentary. I think you do a great job and, and that whole crew and we'll see, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll catch up with you down, down the streak and, and wish you all the best. And, And for those of you out there listening or watching the Boone podcast, I appreciate it. And, uh, We'll catch you next time. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company.